last week we recorded and this week we record. Um, so the pastor has listened to him, wants to make sure that, I want him to make sure that we're being accountable and some other people, what we're talking about, what we're saying is correct, biblically, um, and, and it's also available for anyone that wants work and I get the website set up, it'll be on the website you can listen to, um, and also to send out to, to anyone, to your friends, uh, whomever may need it. So, so welcome to the church. Um, we do have a few announcements. So that creation, um, the creation class is next Saturday and Sunday. It's at six thirty. Um, it is at the Castle Rock Library. So what they do is they go through and talk about creation in relation to science and what the Bible says. And where a lot of people say there's a disconnect that science this proves the Bible is not true. What science actually does is reaffirms what the Bible already says. So um, that's one of the biggest places where the youth, you lose the youth in church, um, both in high school and in college, is that they think, well, how did this happen? How did dinosaurs, you know, how does all that fit in? I don't understand that, you know, and that's where their faith struggles. So it's important. I've always thought Genesis is important. We've gone through a different, this is Creation Ministries International, um, we got invited by uh, Pastor Tim, um, Tim Marinelli over there to come and join them. So we're very thankful for that. And uh, we've done the, um, a different creation class. We did Answers in Genesis by a guy named Ken Ham. That was a very, very informative. We learned a lot through that one. Um, so I'm excited to see what this one says. Um, and then on Wednesday afternoons, we are feeding the homeless. Um, if you guys want to do that. What we do is we usually leave here about noon and meet at a church called His Love Fellowship down off the ninth in Calumet. We're usually down there about 1, 1.30. Um, and then what they do is they have bags, the, the grocery bags, the, the reusable ones. They printed the gospel message on them, Romans 9.10. We fill those bags with food and then we go out to where the homeless are. And we deliver the bags. The bags, the food, there's a need there, but the real need is you get to pray with them, you get to love on them, you get to just let them know that they're not forgotten, that God still still loves them, still cares about them. Um, and we don't talk about the situation they're in, we just try and build them up, let them know how much they're loved. So, so do we do that? Um, now, walking around doing that doesn't sound like fun, but maybe you want to fill the bags. I think there's probably opportunities there, so just let me know. Do that that probably starts earlier i think not sure what time they start filling the bags but it takes them a while it's a big food pantry that they have down in the basement of this church so they have a lot of other food ministries going on so well, if you want to get involved there i'm sure we could get that set up and then this one i am super excited about so this is we've been i've been to this retreat quite a few times um we me and shannon um got we got involved in Calvary Chapel, a group of churches, probably about 10 years ago. So this is the Calvary Chapel Men's Retreat. It's a regional retreat. It is awesome. I've never gone up to the mountain to go to this retreat and come back the same man. It just doesn't happen. When I go up, I come home a different man. So this retreat's amazing. Um, and I call out the men earlier for singing, because I, not that the women should sing, but I think the women are more natural too, and men aren't. But at this retreat, it doesn't matter. All the men are, I mean, it's loud. And so you have, you 
know, a few hundred men in the auditorium and they're all singing and it's, I think that's going to be like what heaven's like. It's loud, it's impressive, it's worshiping God. And it's great. Uh, the, the teachers this year are some amazing men um, that I've got to listen to over the years, so I'm excited to listen to them. I'm very excited about this. The cost is $185 to sign up. You go to Rocky Mountain Calvary's website. Um, when they ask you what church you're a part of, you say the church in North Elizabeth, and then we're all kind of in the same bunk together. Um, so that way you're not separate from everybody else. Um, and the cost, if the cost is an issue, just let me know. Um, the church, our church fellowship will take care of that. Don't ever let money be an issue for why you can't go in time and worship God or draw closer to Him. So anything we do, if, if, it's a, if there's a financial thing going on, just let us know and this fellowship will take care of that. So I'm super excited about that. Um, all the men. I hear you you're supposed to bring earplugs though because they love snoring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard that. It, it is good. Earplugs, there are a lot of men up there. You do all that going, I don't think it's impressive at <laughs> all. <adult. laughs> but it is awesome. It is awesome. And then, as Shannon talked about last, last Sunday, we'll be starting a women's Bible study. It's going to be the first and third Thursday of the month. We'll start that on May 5th at 6 p.m. here at the house. Um, you can see Shannon for details on that. Um, the books, we ordered books. They should be in probably by next Sunday. So if you need books, we'll have books for it. And Shannon and the women are going to go through the 12 extraordinary women of the Bible what their roles were and how God used them. So Shannon it really likes this book, so she's pretty passionate about it. I'm going to jump around. I read like little snippets up here and there, and it's just, it's, it's just, it's pretty, and when they say extraordinary, it's pretty cool. So it said she threw down the gauntlet. I guess we will too. So we'll start a men's study, <laughs> and it'll be the first and third Saturday of the month um, at 9 a.m., I'm not sure where we'll do it at. If we'll do it here, if we'll do it somewhere else close by, but we'll find a place. Um, and we're going to go through the 12 ordinary men of the Bible, the 12 men that, that God used. So um, that would be pretty amazing. When I got saved, I always thought, oh, well, actually, when I first got saved, I, I pictured heaven. Well, heaven's got to be like this huge stadium. And, and after all the things I've done, you know, I'll probably be up in the nosebleed section. And then I listened to the radio. There's a couple of radio stations, 89.7 is one of them. You'll hear pastors on there that teach all day long. 94.7 is another one. And so I started listening to these radio stations, and I hear this man in Aurora, his name's Ed Taylor, and I get to hear his testimony and hear what he's doing with his church. And I got to think, well, if God can use a man like that, then surely he can use me. So that's when my idea of what heaven was like began to change. And so I, I think sometimes we think that the men you hear in the Bible are these, these great, wonderful people, but that's the great thing about the Bible. It, it tells all their faults, too. And they're men no different than me. So God can use all of us. So excited to do that. We'll start that the, uh, that first Saturday in May. It'll be the first and third Saturday. So at 9 a.m. to be determined on the location. Uh, oops, we got a little So, uh, as far as the welcome part, you know, we put up the, the sign that says welcome. So what does that mean, welcome? 
So that means who is welcome, and that's everyone. You know, there is no one, as far as this church goes, or as far as our home goes, that's not welcome in our home. Um, I really liked when when Matthew, who's a despised tax collector, comes to know Jesus, and he invites Jesus over to his house for a meal. And and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, are are giving Jesus a hard time. You know, why would you eat with such scum? You know with these tax collectors and these other disreputable sinners. Well, I was one of those disreputable sinners for many years of my life. And I'm thankful that Jesus didn't close the door on me. So our door would never be closed to anyone. So who, who is welcome here? And that's everyone. Everyone you could possibly think of. Um, you know, well, what if they had a drug problem or have a drug problem or whatever it is? And yes, those people have all been in this house at one point or another. Alcoholics, drug problems gays, everyone is welcome in our home, and everyone's welcome in this church. Um, so being part of the Calvary Chapel, the, the, the pastor that started that is a guy named Chuck Smith, and one of the most amazing stories I love about it is you know, he starts his church um, and, and gets called to, to go to another church, and his wife is not happy about it. So they pray about it, and she finally says, okay, we'll go. So they start this other church, and, and I think they they both thought they'd retire at the last one, but they started another one. And out in front of their house, they had to move, and out in front of their house, you see a bunch of hippies walking up and down the street. And God really gives her a heart for these hippies. So she starts inviting them to church, and this is in the late 60s. And the church grows, and the church takes off. And, and Chuck was kind of more of a suit and tie pastor. And so you end up with this church, you know, half people with suit and ties and half hippies. And, uh, and they get, the church is growing, and they get new carpet, and one of the pastors, kind of one of the student type pastors, puts up a sign and it says, you know, new carpet, must wear shoes. And that was on Sunday morning. And Chuck sees the sign. And he goes and he takes it down. He throws it away. Doesn't say anything. So he waits till their, their staff meeting on Tuesday morning. And he says, I don't care who did it. I'm not, I'm not after that. I just want all of you to know. If the new carpet in this building keeps people from coming in to know Jesus, I'll remove it. And we won't have any carpet. There's nothing that's going to keep people from coming into this building to know Jesus. So, and I have a, we have that same heart in our home and for this church. No one is not welcome. Everyone is welcome. So, so that is kind of one of the foundational things for us. Um, and, and part of that is, is we expect all everyone here to welcome them. You know, there's no, it's very hard to go somewhere new. And if you go somewhere new and everyone ignores you, all of you to be welcoming to all of them, anyone who comes here, all the disreputable centers like myself. So, um, with that, let's, uh, let's get started in prayer. Dear Father, I just thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for the forgiveness of my sins, for forgiveness of every person's sins here in this, in this room and in this world. You died for each and every one of us. We just ask God that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit today. That the words that would be spoken would not be my words. They would be yours. That you would open hearts to receive them. That um, you would lead and that we would follow. Lord, I just ask that you would watch over this fellowship. That you would meet each person where they're at. You know what they're thinking. You know their desires. You know what they're going through. You can just meet them right where they are, Lord. You, you know them intimately. You know the number of hairs on their head. I just ask you to watch over this community. 
that we leave here, we would be a light and a witness to this community and how we act and how we speak and how we conduct ourselves. That you would guide us. You would convict us heavily when we step away from you and that you would draw us close to you. I also ask that you would watch over our nation. You would bring healing. You would bring revival to this nation. That you would draw this nation back to you. You would guide our leadership. That you would um, <coughs> speak to their hearts, Lord. And I just ask that you would watch out for all those who are hurting in the Ukraine, for all those who are just involved in, in needless acts of violence, that you would, you would meet them, that you would do a mighty work in their lives, Lord, that they would invite you in, that you would, um, that you would draw them closer to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So, so last week we talked about um, kind of the calling, how this all came to be. <laughs> And it was a short recap. You know, get saved probably about 10 years ago after living a wild, crazy, wicked, awful life. Um, and about eight years ago, God was a, a calling on my heart to, to teach his word, to, to lead a church, and I tell him no. And so um, he doesn't stop there. That's, that stays on my heart. And then about three years ago, he reaffirms that calling. Um, come before the, the elders of our church, and they pray over me, lay hands, anoint me. Um, and then still three years goes by, and I've uh, and just being patient and waiting on him to lead and guide, and, and now he's opened up the door here. He's made it clear that this is the time, that this is what we're supposed to do. So that's why we're here, um, and that's kind of the short version of how all that came about. Everything, like I said, we record it. If you want to listen to last week's teaching, you definitely can. But we got started, one of the verses we got started in was Ephesians last week. And we're going to be in Ephesians this week. We're going to move to all of chapter 5 and part of chapter 6. And then we're going to be in some different places. But, but Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 um, says, And he himself, meaning Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And the reason he did this, we find in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints and for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So last week we went over the pastors and teachers, that word there joins those two words together. So you're not just a teacher, you're not just a pastor, God calls to both. And that's how it is. We want to do life with you guys. If there's something you need, don't ever hesitate to reach out. Let us know. My phone, Shannon's phone, is on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, um, But then the second part of that, what did he do that for? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the body of Christ we'll learn about today is also known as the church. And then the name of our fellowship is the church. So what does that mean to be? The church. So we'll pick that up in Ephesians chapter 5 here. So I read out of the, the New Living Translation. I probably should explain this earlier. We had the, the uh, Wi Fi password up. You know, the U version Bible app is a great app because I can look, go through different different versions of the Bible. I can flip back and forth um, and, and I can go different places. So I always prefer the Bible in hand, but U version app is a great tool also. So, so I'm going to pick up verse 1 of chapter 5. 
Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because he, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idol is an idler, idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things, in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces what is good, what is right, and what is true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, instead expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed. And when the light shines on them, for the light... Oh, I'm sorry, let me start that. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing songs and hymns, spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your heart. And give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. And the church submits to Christ. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she should be holy and without fault, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration 
of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents, because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So that's the, the section that we're going to go over today. Um, we're going to go, we'll hit a few other verses up that are going to bring this kind of more into relation. But we just want to kind of go through this. This is, you heard the, the term the church, the body of Christ, a lot in there. So what does that mean to be the church? Well, this is a, a very good foundational part of that, what that means to be the church. So we read here, first and foremost, we are God's children. So what does that mean, we're his children? And when we asked Jesus into our lives, when we accepted him, that God adopted us, grafted us into his family, that we share an inheritance with Jesus Christ, is what the Bible says. So you think of that, Jesus, the Son of God, what great inheritance he must have, and we get to share in that with him. And we've done nothing for it. That's what grace is. It's a free gift. It's something we didn't earn, something we didn't deserve. In fact, we deserve the opposite. You know, We deserve the punishment for the way we all live our lives. And the Bible makes that all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. Um, this also is we're to live a life of love. Um, and Christ is love. God is love. And we'll get to that here too. Um, and what that means, you know, for us in the English, we say love so many things, you know. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my dog. I love my truck, but do I love them all the same? I better not. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Because if I if I love Shannon the same way I love my truck, that's um, probably not going to go very well. So, so we'll talk through what because the Greek language, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the Greek language has a lot more value to the word love and what that means, and that's what we want to talk about today. Because what we're really called to do as a church is to love God first and everyone else second. So that's what we're called to do as the church. Um, so once we were full of darkness, but now we have the light of Christ, is what it says. Um, so we once lived in darkness, we once lived um, sinful lives, all of us. But now we've asked Christ into our life, and he is the light of the world. So, so what that means is that we talk about, you'll hear me say a lot, to be a light and a witness. What does that mean? Well, we're to reflect, if Jesus is the light, we're to reflect that light throughout our lives and how we act and how we speak, how we treat others. Um, I kind of think of it like the moon. So the moon has no light itself. All it does is reflect the light from the sun. And it reflects it back to the earth. So we think of how that works. The sun, the son of God, were to reflect that light here on earth. We're kind of like the moon. That's how I think of that. So, um, and Paul warns us here to be careful, to 
be careful of how we live. Um, we're to make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And that's, that's really being that light and witness. It's, could be out on the street corner, you know, the sign, you know, repent, turn to Jesus. Could be, most of the time not. Most of the time it's just how we live our lives. The people I know, how do I conduct my life? Do they see Christ in me? Do I reflect that light in how I speak and how I talk? Um, I guess that's kind of the same thing. How I speak and how I act. Um, is that, am I reflecting that light? Am I being a light and a witness? Because these days are evil. We see that all around us. Many evil things. And we have that opportunity to, to not fall into that. And it's easy to do. You know, Paul talks about not being part of obscene stories or foolish talk or coarse jokes. That's hard, you know, especially at work. People are telling jokes, you know, you want to, to fit in with them, you want to, you know, laugh, not make them feel awkward, but Paul calls us not to do that. We're to live differently. We're to live in this world, but not be a part of the world. So that's what, that's what Paul is telling us here. And Paul, um, I'll try to give you an introduction to Paul. Paul, wrote the, most of the New Testament. Paul was a, a religious leader at the time um, and spent his, well, was a religious leader and after Jesus died, he spent his time persecuting Christians, um, going after them, killing them, um, really just attacking what God was doing. And God got a hold of his heart on the road to Damascus. Um, and, and that's when he, Paul, realized what he was doing Jesus himself called him, called Paul, to, to come alongside of him, and, and Paul accepted that. So, so Paul goes on to write a lot of the New Testament, and, and Paul was a, a pretty amazing man, you know, never always was humble. Um, Paul talks about the, being a, a bondservant of Christ. He introduced himself a lot that way, and we talked about that last week, and I was kind of convicted that I say, you know, the pastor title, you know, that's not something I want. Bond servant of Jesus Christ is the title I want, and that isn't quite right, you know. So the business cards or whatever it is, if I'm introduced myself, you know, the church, and it should say Pastor Matt Long. Because if it doesn't, that's weird. You know, well, we go to a church, but he's not really a pastor, <laughs> and it's clear that that's what God's called me to do. That's the word God uses. So, and God doesn't do anything weird. So. If you're part of a church and there's weird things going on, that's not of God. Everything God does is neat, orderly, structured. Um, and that's how God works. So, um, so the, the business card, the church, pastor, Matt Fonte, but underneath, definitely bond servant of Jesus Christ. And the bond servant was someone who willingly chose to go serve that family. You know, Maybe they owed a debt to the family and they were a servant there. They paid off their debt. Their servant was done. Their servant ship was done. But they, you know, I, I kind of like it here. I want to stay here willingly. And I, they would go and they take their ear and pierce an owl in it, and that would be their mark. And that's how Paul refers to himself as a, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to be. I want to not a pastor that uh, with a sense of entitlement, but a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Someone who serves with a, a shepherd's heart servant leader you hear it a lot of times uh, and that's what it is so so um, that's kind of Paul Paul writes this letter of Ephesians here to the church of Ephesus Paul writes a lot of letters to the different churches around the area and gives them instruction and in, in how to live their lives and, 
and it's still relevant today. Everything we read and hear is, is what God is still speaking to us today. So, um, Paul goes on to define the roles of the family. So we'll get into that here, um, just to what that means. What's my role as a husband? What's the role of wives? Um, what is the role of children? Um, but then Paul doesn't stop there, and we'll pick this up also. Not all of us are called to be married, and Paul makes that clear, and we'll go through that. Um, so, so in verse 21, submit to one another in fear of God. And that's what it says in the New King James Version. So in verse 21, further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In the New Living Translation, the fear of God, uh, I've heard fear translated also into awe. So you hear all your fear of God. Yeah, when I wasn't walking with God, definitely should fear Him. But now that I'm walking with God, should I live in reverence? Should I live in awe? Should I do what He's asked me to do because He loves me? Um, so this is a tough one, for, especially for wives. The, but what God says first in verse 21 is submit to one another. So what does that mean? What does that look like in our lives? Um, we're going to go through it and talk about love and what that means is love is really a sacrifice, love is a choice so submitting to one another um, if I love Shannon and sacrifice I'll, I'll sacrifice my own time whatever it is to serve her and I can always do that more and I can always do that better and she'll do the same for me but so when God says for wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. So if Christ is the head of the church, and that's all churches, that's this church too, God makes that clear that, that Christ is in charge. So so what we teach, like I, if, I did not think we'd be here. I thought we'd be somewhere else. But God made it clear that this is where we're supposed to be, and I want to submit to him. You know, God is the head of this church. Christ is the head of this church, and all churches that believe in him. So I'm submit to him. And if I'm submitting to him, that should make it easier for Shannon to submit to what I'm doing. Now, does that mean I lord over her and this is what we're doing? No, it does not work that way. Mm, <laughs> we have yeah. conversations, we talk, um, we don't always agree. And, and if we don't always agree, Shannon will say, okay, I don't quite see it, but I trust that this is where God's told you to lead our family, and I'll, I'll follow you in that. Now, is that ever to be followed in a sinful way? No. Is it to be in an abusive way? No. God never calls anyone to be abused, to be a doormat, any of that. That's not what's being talked about here. It's a, it's a loving relationship between a man and a woman. We submit to each other, and then if, if, we have, if we're not in agreement, then she submits to where I think God has led us. Now, what if God is not leading? You, you feel like, oh, God's not leading my husband. He's not walking with God. I shouldn't submit to that. Yes, you absolutely should. So let's say that, that I come to Shannon and I say, I think we should refinance the house and I want to spend the money in this way. And she'll say, did you pray about that? No, not yet, but I will. You know, okay, well, I'm not sure I'm in agreement with that, but if that's what you feel we need to do, and you feel that's what God's calling you to do, go for it. So we go on and we refinance the house and I spend the money, not in the way that God's told me to, and it's a very selfish way, you know, how does that work? Well, if I'm not walking with God, I'm being judgment. 
he will correct that. He'll chasten his children, he says. But Shannon will be rewarded because she wasn't told, oh, submit to your husband when he does the right things. No, submit to your husband unless it's not of God. If it's against God's word, if it's sinful, if it's um, abusive, that's not what we're talking about. But in this case, not necessarily leading her into sin. If I said I wanted to take the money and, and go start a, a pot shop, that would probably be a different thing. But we go spend it on whatever, vacations or whatever. So I'm in sin, I'm not walking with God in this decision. She submits and follows alongside. I'm facing a, a judgment from God or a, a chastening, and Shannon is probably facing a reward. She's done what she's been asked to do. God says, submit to your husbands. So, so that's what the kind of thing it is. Um, and it's never, like I said, never to be a doormat, never to be abusive ever. If you are in an abusive relationship, you should get out. Um, and that doesn't mean divorce. That means separate, leave. You're never called for that as a woman. So, um, and so the church, the church, we are to submit to Christ. Um, that's what it says here. So we as a church submit to Christ, and that's really what our marriage needs to be about. It's two people both submitting to Christ, and you should be praying for your marriage every single day. Um, men and women, pray for your marriage. God, draw us closer to you, and please bring us closer to each other. You know, when you both are submitting to, to Christ, God brings you closer to him, and it's going to bring you closer together. So that's a huge deal. Praying for your marriages. Uh, and then in verse 24 so in verse 24 as the church submits to Christ so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything so in everything does that mean in everything like every decision he possibly makes no not the sinful if I tell Shannon oh you know I think we should go rob a bank and, and make some money that way no she's not to submit in that we would both be in, in sin at that point and we're both facing judgment from God but in everything, and that word everything, when I look it up in the Greek, I look at it and I see it more as a, as a oneness. That we are to be not at odds with each other. Not everything I bring up, she comes against. Not everything she brings up, I come against. That we're to be walking in everything together. Um, and then when we have that disagreement, that, that we follow the husband's lead. And not because the husband's better by any means, just because that's what God said, how he set it up. That's it. That's the only reason. So men are not better than women. By no means men are not better leaders or better teachers. This is just how God has set it up. That's the simple, the simplest of explanations. So, um, And again, men, we're to lead by example. Not by lording over, not by telling her. I don't, I don't tell Shannon what to do. You know, especially when it comes to godly things. It talks about being washed in the word. Um, in verse 26. So... If I'm to lead by example, does Shannon know that I spend my time, you know, a quiet time every day? I spend in prayer, I spend reading the Word? Yes. Do I come down and tell her, well, you need to do the same thing? No. I'm just leading by example. I, I'm supposed to live the life that Christ has called me to live. And she and my children see that and follow my lead. And do I talk to them about it? Absolutely. Do I lord over them and tell them how to live their lives? No. I'm supposed to lead by example and they follow. And that speaks a lot louder than words. My, my thoughts, my actions, when things are tough, then they see, you know, 
Oh, Howard's dad. When dad loses his temper, when dad gets mad, do I come and apologize to the kids? Do I ask for forgiveness? Yes. Do I humble myself? Yes. You know, I, <laughs> and God does that in amazing ways. And not just for my kids, but like at work. So I can remember one time, I had a sticker on the back of my truck, a Grace FM sticker. And it's for that radio station. And it's a Christian radio station. And God used that in many ways at work. One time he used it, we're in a, a, in a meeting for a project on C470, and you have all, all these top guys in there, and the, the head guy from CDOT comes and sits down, and I'm a nobody in this meeting, I'm just, just a, a, a guy in there. And he comes and sits next to me, and he asks, is that your pickup out there? And at the time, I'm driving a company pickup, and they had that bumper sticker on the back. And I say, well, yeah, that's mine, why? Well, I was wondering, that bumper sticker, was that yours? Did you put that on? Yeah. Well, sometimes, you know, like CDOT trucks, we hand them down and somebody else put the sticker on. Did you put that sticker on? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Why is that? And, and he asked, and he starts to ask questions about Jesus. And it blew my mind away. You know, this head guy wants to know, is caught, that bumper sticker catches his eye and God doesn't work. And then there's another time where I worked and, and arguing with another guy from another company about things that are going on. And we're yelling back and forth. And, and we walk away and we're walking back to our pickups and we walk by my pickup and he looks up and he sees that Grace FM sticker and I see that Grace FM sticker and I think, oh man, I blew it. You know, I got mad at him, I lost my temper, he's yelling at me, you know, and he was in the wrong, just for the record. <laughs> but, but it convicted me and, and I had to call him later and apologize and humble myself and say, hey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have acted that way. And I've had to do that many times in my life. And I encourage you, you know, don't change your bumper sticker to match your life. Change your life to match that Christian label you have. And I think that's important for us as men, how we lead, and for women. You know, if you want to know how your kids, or how you act, watch your kids, because they'll do the same thing. I think you've all seen that, you know. So, so that's really what it means to, to lead a family. Um, it's by example. It's by my actions not so much by my words. And like I said, praying for your marriage every single day. Marriage is an institution created by God. Get back in Genesis. All marriages are created by God. That's God's institution. That's not a man-made thing. The justice and the peace isn't a man-made thing. It's all God. So, if it's God, then the enemy wants to come against it. And who's the enemy? The enemies are sinful nature. The enemy is this world. And the enemy is, is Satan and his demons. It's a threefold enemy, and they want to come against your marriage. And the best thing you can do is pray for your marriage. The battle is not against flesh and blood, the Bible says. And we'll get to this later on in Ephesians chapter 6. It's against spiritual principalities. It's a spiritual war out there, and there's always going to be a spiritual attack on your marriage. So make sure you're praying for it. So now we get to the husband's role. And for men, God tells us, Three times, because just in case we didn't hear it the first time in this that we just read, three times he tells us to love our wives. <laughs> he only tells the wives to submit to us twice, but he's got to tell us three times, because we probably didn't hear him the first two. Um, and what does that mean to love? So we, I said a little bit about the Greek words. You have one Greek word for love is agape. And that's everything we're reading here. That's a self-sacrificing love, sacrificial love. You have a phileo love, and that's a brotherly love. 
And we're not reading about any of those, that type of loaf here in the Greek. And then you have an eros. And eros is the exotic loaf. And that's not what we're reading about here. Um, we're only reading about self-sacrificing love. So the best way, Jesus explains it the best. What is that? What is the self-sacrificing love? And we pick that up in 1 John chapter 4, starting here in verse 7. So dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed us he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, sent his Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, for we have put our trust in His love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we were afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So then when we get down to verse 19 here, so 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. So when I read it in the, in the New Living Translation, we love each other because he loved us first. And like I said, there's different translations. And when I was a new Christian, I got caught up. Oh, I want to make sure I'm going to perfect translate the right one. They're all correct, there's little things here and there. No translation is going to lead you away from God or lead you into sin. But I think this one's important, this distinction here. Because when I look it back up in the Greek, and when the New King James Version, the very top one, we love him because he first loved us. And the reason I say that that's the correct translation is when I look up the Greek word for him and the Greek word for he, it's the exact same word. So they're talking, in this text, they're talking about the same thing. And it's about God. So we love him because he first loved us. God loved us so much he sent his son to die for us. And then after that was our next step is that I can love God. Now, 
can I love Shannon without loving God? And the answer is no. And this text makes that clear. And that's why I think this is so important. If I don't have that relationship with God, that self-sacrificing love, then I don't have that love around me. Do I have a brotherly love? Do I have a, the, ex, the, the erotic love? Yeah, that, definitely. But do I have a self-sacrificing love, the love that God is talking about all throughout here? No. Not without loving God first. He loved us first. I love him. And now I can love others. I can have that self-sacrificing love. Because who convicts me when I'm being selfish and, I, and I'm not helping out with whatever Shan's got going on in her life? Who convicts me of that? Well, God does. And without that conviction, I get to go on being selfish. I can love brotherly. You know, I can, can love the, the attraction love to her. But, but not the self-sacrificing love. Not the love that God's speaking about here. And it is a distinction. So that's why I think it's, that part is so important. Um, and then to finish off the, the, the section here. If someone says, I love God, but he hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? So it works both ways. If I love God first, I can love others. And if I claim to love God, but I don't love anyone around me, then I'm lying. I don't really love God. Because what does God command us to do? He commands us to love each other. We've read that many times throughout this. So, to be, being the church, being the body of Christ, being a Christian believer, God loved us first. He sent His Son to die for us. We love God, and then we're able to self-sacrificing love those around us. And that's the love we're supposed to have. A sacrificial love for everyone. Not just for your wife, not just for your spouse, but for everyone. So, um, to go in more into the the self-sacrificing love, we'll go to Matthew uh, chapter twenty-two, verse thirty-seven. So, I'll give you a minute to get there. Matthew 22, verse 37. We have Bibles too, if everybody. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah, perfect. We do have Bibles up front if anybody needs them. You're free to keep them. Jesus went on to explain he sums up all the commandments all the laws in the Old Testament all the commandments in the New Testament he sums them up in two commandments and at this point in, in the book of Matthew the, the, religious, the religious leaders are trying to trip Jesus up trying to, to get him to fall into a, a trap you know, that they think they've got him so this is Jesus' reply to one of their questions. So he replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So that's that love that we just talked about. 
God loved us. He sent his son for us. I love God, first and foremost. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So I love God first and foremost, and then I'm commanded to love my neighbor. So who's my neighbor? They go on to define it. My neighbor is everyone around me. My neighbor is obviously people who live in this neighborhood, people who live in this community. But my neighbor is everyone. So, so I'm to love everyone. We are to love everyone. It makes it very clear. And, and that's with that agape, that self-sacrificing love. Um, and Jesus goes on to, to define what is sacrificial. Um, and we pick that up in John chapter 15, verse 9. John 15, verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. So Jesus tells us in verse 10 that if we love him, we'll obey his commandments. That's one of the ways. If I, love, I love Jesus. Or are you obeying his commandments? That's, how, that's his benchmark for measurement there. So then to, to pick it up again in verse 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life, to lay down one's life, for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. So, he says in verse 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Um, and that, I think you can look at that in the context we live in, a, in, in the United States. And the reason we are in a free country is because there's many men and women who have laid down their lives for our freedoms. Freedom isn't free. And I'm thankful for that. Their, their love for this country, their love for us, compels them to do that. And because of that, we're free to worship here today, today in this, this room here. So, um, but what about laying down one's life for, for an enemy? Or, you know, it's easy for me to love people that I'm friends with. What about people at work that I'm not friends with, people I don't get along with? What do I do then? And I'm told to pray for them. And, and that, that really... Pray for them. Pray for God to bless them. And what God's really doing through that is changing my heart. I have this hard heart for this person for whatever reason I don't like and don't get along with. But when I pray for them, suddenly God doesn't work. My heart changes. Um, and God usually brings a way for me to connect with that person that I never thought was possible. 
So, so, but Jesus goes on further. And we'll pick that up in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. What does that, what did that look like for us? Because we were not always friends with God. We were not, we talked about last week, God makes it very clear, if you're not for him, you're against him. There's no walking where I stray, you know, I took a couple side steps. No, no, no. I'm either walking with God or I'm walking the opposite way of God. And far enough apart from God, there's no sin I'm not keeping for. So, no. No lie. Um, so, picking up in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So while we were in enmity with God, while we were hostile towards God, while we were living sinful lives, that's when Jesus died for us. And he died for all of the sins in our past all of our current sins and all of our future sins. He knew it all. He knew what was going to happen. Nothing we've done in life is caught him by surprise. And that's that's a big statement. You know, I don't know of anybody in life that just went through life. I told a few lies and that was it. I just haven't met that person yet. Everyone I've met has lived in sin and, and, and not a small amount. So when Jesus died for you while you were still sinning, while you were in enmity with him, that's a big statement. And that really speaks to how do I treat people that, that I'm hostile to, or hostile towards me, or maybe I'm hostile towards. And do I love them the way Christ loved us? And the way Christ loved us is he literally sacrificed himself for us. That's the sacrificial love we're talking about. And that's sacrificing my time, sacrificing talents, sacrificing treasures, sacrificing money, whatever that is, do I sacrifice for love in a way to love others? And that's what God's calling us to do. Sacrificing of ourselves for others. So, so getting back to Ephesians, finishing up that. Um, like I said, men were told three times to, to love our wives. <coughs> As Christ takes care of us, we're to take care of our wives. God takes care of us. He provides for us. And we're to take care of our wives and provide for them. So, now, after we get through the men, we talk about the children. And children, when they get married, are to leave. We read here that they're to leave their fathers and mothers, and they're to cleave to each other in oneness. Um, so, what is that oneness? Um, that oneness, and we won't get into it today, Perhaps next week, if that's where God leads us. But that oneness goes back to Adam and Eve. So Adam's created out of the dirt, which I think there's something to be said for that. You know, you look at little boys in mud puddles and they have to go splash through them. You look at grown men driving through mud in their trucks. You look at teenagers. Um, I can think of, <laughs> we went to check out a job site one time. And we had to go to the batch plant and it just rained and it's all muddy. There's just a, a one-lane road to get there. There's a drop-off on one side and a bank on the other. 
and we're driving down this muddy road and sliding, and Kennedy is loving it. She thinks it's great. Shannon and Kylie are screaming at me that they want out of the truck because I'm going to kill them. <laughs> and I think it's great as, as long as, you know, same as Kennedy. We're having fun. So, so I think there's something to be said for whatever reason. Men and boys love the mud. But God creates Adam out of the dirt. And then he doesn't create Eve from the dirt. He creates Eve from Adam. So he takes from Adam to create Eve. So think about this. Adam's whole. He's, he's perfect. God's created him. And now God's taken out of Adam and created Eve. So the two aren't whole until they're together in oneness. Now, we talked last week about, you know, men, if you need anything, call me. My phone is on all the time. And uh, women, if you need anything, you know, call Shannon or text me as Shannon. Um, and now, why is that? Does that mean that, like, I never to, to text a, a woman or, or call a woman? Um, our financial planner is a woman. I have conversations with her. I work with Tammy. I have conversations with her. Um, Jen, I work with her. I have conversations with her. But this oneness that is talked about here, there's a physical oneness, and I'm sure you guys all have kids, so you figured out how that physical oneness works, you know, you come together. But there's, long before you have that, that physical intimacy, think of how it was when you first started dating. When me and Shannon first started dating, we talked on the phone constantly. That was that, in, that, that, um, that closeness, that you know, sharing thoughts and feelings and, and desires and, and lots of conversations. That was that intimacy that took place um, between us, um, connecting our lives. And I think you think through when you date, that's how it goes for most people. There's lots of phone calls, lots of late nights talking on the phone or conversations, and you're creating that. Um, and that's why when you're coming to a, to a pastor or a leader, and, and it's usually for something that's going on in your life, something personal. And when you begin to share that one-on-one, -on -one, you can read just Google it. Pastors who have had affairs you know, with people in their congregation. And it's one newsfeed after another, after another, after another. So when I bring it up last week, that's why. It's not that you can never talk to a woman or that I can't. It's that you begin to develop that, that oneness that you're sharing intimate feelings, things that are going on in your life and that's not okay, man and woman ever in the church. Um, unless it's your wife. I got told early on when we were in, in Castle Rock, don't ever be alone with a woman who's not your wife, ever, period. And that's, I think, a good model to live by. Um, not that anything would ever happen, but there's not even the perception of something that, that happened, you know. So, so that's always been important, and that's why we brought it up last week. Um, accountability, if I'm, if I'm going to be accountable to God and to you, you have to know what the accountability and why. So, so now you all know why that that piece of accountability is there. Um, and partly as is, is to what that oneness is that, that they're talking about here in Ephesians. So Now there's more to it. God says that it's a great mystery. So there's more to that oneness that I'm sure we'll get to learn about when we're in heaven. Um, so, uh, and then, okay, so then back to it. Ephesians 5, verse 33. So again I say, each man love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So this, there's a book written about this, and it's called Love and Respect. 
in a crazy cycle. And the way it works is, is I feel that Shannon didn't respect me um, and that I don't show her love. We get into a fight over something small and it spirals into this huge fight. Um, and that's more and more married people I talk to, they can relate to that, you know? And it's this crazy cycle. And then we get over it um, and, and then something happens again. I'm not loving to her, she's not respectful to me and we get into something little, sets it off, and we get into a big fight. Um, and so recognizing that, and how do you, what do I do? Okay, so I recognize that that goes on in my marriage. What do I do? I need to be loving to her. And what is that loving? I need to be self-sacrificing. I need to like do the dishes, which I hate doing the dishes. That's what I have kids for. <laughs> but that's something that drives Shannon nuts, and I know that. And if the dishes are piled up in the sink at the night, she won't go to bed. And then she goes to bed late, and then she's frustrated. Well, I should have sacrificed my time and, done, and did the dishes for her. And it's things like that. And for, and for wives, to respect your husbands. You know, when your husband is submitting in everything, walking hand in hand, when, you, when wives come against the husband with, their, with the ideas they have, the husband feels disrespectful. And then the husband becomes upset and defensive, and, and it just spirals down. And it's God makes it clear this is how the enemy attacks our marriages. So he, he explains that to us, and he gives us the tools to, to recognize that and to work against it. And the biggest tool is prayer. I can't say that enough. Pray for your marriage every single day. And pray with your spouse. That's huge. You should be praying with your wife, with your husband, every single day. And it doesn't have to be some elaborate prayer, just a quick prayer. God, thank you for our family. That's, that's a big part of it. So, um, but that's important, being pray, praying for. So then we get into the children. Children, obey and honor. Um, and that's important. And God says, this is the first commandment that comes with a promise. And we're not going to go to it today, but if you want to read where that promise is, it's in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And you can read that. And that's where it first comes up. So that's the first commandment that comes with a promise. Obey and honor your parents. And that's not something that's going to come easy. God doesn't tell us to do the things that come easy to us. You know, for, for men, obviously it doesn't come easy to love our wives. For wives, it's easier for you to show love to us. And we probably show you respect, and it's not easy for you to show that back. You know, the things that come easy, he doesn't command us to. So when he commands us to do something, we need to pay attention. So, obey and honor. Are you listening in the back row, girl? <laughs> Just checking. So. And then, lastly, God calls us as men again. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So I believe in spankings. I believe that's biblical. God says, spare the rod, spoil the child. I think the spankings are real. I get to get to a point where they're too old for that, but we did spank in this house. And I, I believe that that's biblical. But I was never to spank out of anger. I was never to be upset and discipline my kids. I was always to go to God. And then there was times where they do something like, oh, it's a perfect day. Do I really have to? Do we really have to discipline it? Do I really have to spank today? And it was yes. And, I, and that's the discipline you talk about. Discipline is never abusive, never degrading. We which can't I don't spank our kids anymore. <laughs> yeah. you say they're too that. old. I was like, too old. <laughs> oh, did I say it backwards? That got a little weird. No, no we don't spank our kids yeah. now. But we did. 
That's the discipline. No, now the discipline is I take away electronics. That works out pretty good. And just bring that up and there's tears right away. But it's never to be mean. It's never, it's ne- never to be. Um, it's, and it's discipline and instruction. So anytime we did discipline in the house, um, and not always, but the girl, I got saved, the girls were pr- pretty young. Joelle did not, did not get this. But, um, when we'd be disciplined in the house, when they were younger, it was spankings. When it's older, it's drownings. But there was a time for restoration afterwards. So it, it usually works something, something would happen, they'd be a spanking, they'd go to their rooms, there'd be a time when everyone settles down, and then I'd go into the rooms and I'd talk to them and say, do you understand why? And there'd be instruction. And that's what God makes clear here. Discipline and instruction. They go together. It's not discipline. It's not lording over. It's discipline and instruction. But you've got to explain to them what they've done wrong first or set the ground rules. And when they step out of that, there has to be discipline, even when it's not fun. And then after the discipline, there has to be restoration and instruction. And that's what that was. Go into the room let them know, number one, that I love them very much. This is why this happened. This is why we got in trouble. And there was that time of instruction and then restoration. We restored that. And that, that, that has to be. You can't just discipline. That's not what God's saying here. Um, and you're to do it with the leading of God. God will lead you in the discipline and the instruction. Come back together. So, and he, he calls men out specifically. And I think we have a tendency to be hard on our children. Yeah. I know that I have definitely been hard on my kids. Um, they can all tell you that. And I had to ask for forgiveness. So Joel probably got it the worst out of all of them because it was not safe back then. So, But I can think of a time when I was coaching Joel's baseball team and he was really upset. That he felt that the way I talked to him was, was really harsh. And I told Shannon, I don't think so. The way I talked to him, I praised him up. You know, He was the example for everybody else. But I think if I were to look back on that, when I get to heaven, I get to see the replay, I probably was hard on him. And I probably was. You know, I may have said some complimentary things, but I probably said some harsh things too. And I think as men, we have a tendency to be harsh on our kids. And that is tough. That's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to love them. But I can think of an example too, where not everything that goes in my, comes in my, in my brain is supposed to come out of my mouth. You know, here a few years ago, Joel went back to the school, to, to Welding School. And my thought, my first thought on that was, well, why would you do that? That's a lot of money. And you're going to work for me the rest of your life. And I'm going to work here till I retire and we're good. And I didn't say that because I, I want to be supportive. If this is something he wants, you know, don't provoke him to anger. So I'm going to come alongside him. I'm supportive and I did. And I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I never said anything because now... I'm no longer at Castlebar Construction, and he's not either. <laughs> and he just got a job working for SEMA as a welder. So, so I, had I the thought in my head, had I spoken that out, it would have been damaging. And that's what God's talking about here. Not everything that comes in our head is supposed to come out of our mouth. It's supposed to be a filter. And God says, you know, be slow to speak. So, so that's one, two, that I have to watch out for. So we are almost done. We have a couple more points to go over. So, another place of accountability is found in Acts chapter 17. Some of you may or may not have heard this. People will say, be like the Bereans. And what does that mean?
So, Paul and Silas are in Thessalonica, and they've more or less been kicked out of Thessalonica, and they get sent to this town of Berea. And in Thessalonica, they were not received well. Um, they were more or less run out of town, or, or they were going to be killed. And in fact, the other believers in Thessalonica snuck them out of town late at night, so that they weren't killed. Um, so, they get to Berea, and we'll pick it up in verse 10. So that very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those of Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's messages. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many, Jewish, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. So the important part there is that they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And that's what you need to do. Don't take my word for it. Anything I've said, don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself. Study God's word yourself. And it's so important to have that prayer life every day. Be praying for your marriage and to get in God's word every day. And if that's just a verse, if that's all you got time for, great. But if you got time for more than that, I mean, get into it. Read, read a chapter a day. Read somewhere, and God will show you where. You know, if, if you want to know well, where do I get started or, or what should I do, I mean, come ask me, and we can talk through that. The Gospels are a great place to get started. It's going to explain to you who Jesus is. And read through it. Um, and spend some time in God's Word. Study God's Word. Don't take my word for it. Don't take what I tell you. Um, study it for yourself. Come up with and make sure. Do what the Bereans did. They went and tested Paul. You know, Paul was an amazing teacher, but they didn't just take his word for it. They wanted to go test it for themselves. So. And lastly, what I want to talk about um, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. So, This is Paul, again writing. He's writing to the church of Corinth at this time. Um, and these churches would write back and forth to Paul. They would write and ask him questions about things that were going on. Or, um, and so he's, he's writing these letters to instruct the churches, is what he's doing. And so this is one of the ways, one of his instructions. And I, I think at some point we'll get into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, because that lays a lot of foundations too, especially for marriage. Um, but in the middle of laying some of those foundations for marriage, Paul comes up with this. Paul says this. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 6. I say this is a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single, just as I am. But God gives to some the gifts of marriage, and to others the gifts of singleness. So I say to those who aren't married, and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried, just as I am. So that God makes it clear right here to some, he gives a gift of marriage, and to some, he gives a gift of singleness. So, I think there's a pressure in our society, oh, you should get married, you should get married. Well, that's not what Paul says here. And Paul's speaking to believers. And why would Paul say that? Well, you think about it, just as I am. So, Paul is unmarried. And what is Paul doing this time? Paul's serving the Lord, and he's serving the Lord in a mighty way. His life is all about serving God. So, if you've been called to singleness, that gives you more of an opportunity to serve God. So that's not, never a call that we are all to be married. Some of us are called to be single. No, nothing against my family, but my family takes away, um, takes 
takes time and effort out of my life. And that's good, and it's supposed to. But if I didn't have my family, I could devote that time more to God. And that's what Paul's saying here. Paul, Paul doesn't have that family. Paul is single, um, and he's devoting his time to God. And he's making it clear that we're not all to be married. So um, here, it was a, a Christian radio station. There was an ad that came on. It, it was a, a program of something like being married or finding your soulmate in 30 days the biblical way or something like that. And I just think about, like, I don't think that's the biblical way ever. You know, what if you're talking about a person who's not called to be married, who's called to the singleness, is given a gift of singleness, God calls it. And then you also have the opportunity, too, to more focus on your relationship with God as a single person. So that abs- is absolutely God's gift to be married, and it's God's gift to be single. And he, he makes that very, very clear. So, um, yeah, so there I think as believers, there's a tendency, oh, you need to get married, you need to have a family. Um, Paul makes that very clear, too, in this section of Scripture. But that's not always the case either. So I think there's a lot of pressure that we put on the world, um, or that we put on ourselves from the world, and that's just not how it is. Um, we, as humans, have a tendency to add to God's Word, and you see that in Scripture. And someday we'll get to this where Adam and Eve are told not to eat the fruit, and when Satan comes to tempt Eve. She said, oh yeah, we're not even to, to look at it or touch it. Well, no, God didn't say that. He just said, don't eat it. She added that part in. And, and God puts that in there for a reason. We tend to add to God's word. Oh, we should, or this or this. And you see the Old Testament, they did that. They added a lot to God's word. Um, they, so, it was, yeah, it just something we have a tendency to do. So, some are called to the gift of marriage. Some are called to the gift of singleness. God makes that very, very clear. Um, so, with that, let me pray and then we'll open up to questions and we'll sing one more song. So, dear Father, I just thank you so much for all that you do, all the ways you bless and all the ways you guide. And I thank you for this time today to come before you, to worship you, to, to open your word, for you to speak to our hearts. I thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for that sacrificial love that you have for us, that you died willingly, that no one took your life, that you said, made it clear, that you willingly go to the cross for us, um, and that there's no greater love than for one to lay down his life for another. So I thank you for that love. I thank you for that sacrifice. I ask you to help me to, to model that type of love in my life this week. I ask you to watch over each person here to help them model that type of love in their um, life this week. We would be a light and a witness to this community. I just ask that you would watch over this community. We would raise up godly men and women in this community that would serve you, that would love you. That there would be a revival throughout this nation. That it would start right here, right here in this community. It's in Jesus' name. I pray all these things. So we'll open it up if you guys have any questions. Just do questions at the end. Any questions you have?